if our kids are ending up in juvenile detention, we've already had two other systems that have already failed them, the foster care system and the education system. Hello and welcome. I'm Lori Hardy. Thanks for listening in as we continue to talk with leaders in our community. Joining me today is Dawn Rains with Treehouse, a service that supports foster kids with clothes, food, tutoring, and so much more. They're working to make changes in legislation to help foster kids not only survive, but thrive by graduating from high school and getting a better start in life. Dawn is going to tell us how you can help. Welcome to the show, Dawn. Hi there, Lori. Nice to nice to meet you. So glad to have an update on Treehouse, especially going through COVID and all the changes that have been going on for foster care. You want to talk about that? Sure, yeah. Treehouse provides all kinds of services for children, youth, and foster care. And when the pandemic hit last March, we really had to scramble to just get our services as accessible as we possibly could as quickly as we could. All of our education work that we do with our high school students across the state, we were able to continue meeting with our young people by any any means they were willing to meet, whether it's Zoom, FaceTime, text, any social media platform that they were willing to engage in. One of the the great innovations is that we have a a treehouse store here in King County where kids in foster care can come shopping for clothing, school supplies, books, that kind of thing. And we use this opportunity to really pivot and start shipping things to youth across the state. And now we even do a little bit of personal shopping by Zoom or FaceTime for our teenagers. If they have a specific something they're looking for, we can either a volunteer or staff person can shop the inventory and, and just ship it off to them. So we have tried really hard to keep up our level of service during this time. It's just been such an important, stressful time for all of our youth and also for the families that help support them. And we wanted to be there in whatever way we possibly could. I don't know if you know this, but I have three foster kids that are- Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they were adopted. I think it's been three years now. And whenever there's a major change, a move, anything, even though they're adopted, even though Mm -hmm. they're in a good home, they- something in the back of their head says they're going to get rid of us. Mm -hmm. And so a pandemic for foster kids, I mean, it's been horrible for all of us. And if you can imagine a child who isn't sure if they're going to get to stay where they are. So the fact that you are working so hard to keep them connected with mentors and tutors and make sure they have what they need. I salute you on that. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Treehouse and how it got started? Yeah, Treehouse is over 30 years old and we were actually started by social workers at what is now the Department of Children, Youth and Families. They were just tired of seeing all the kids on their caseloads going without all the little extra things that make a childhood a childhood. So they started raising money amongst themselves for things like birthday presents and bicycles and summer camp and swimming lessons and just anything that really helps a kid just be a kid, you know, helps normalize an experience that can feel really not normal for our kids. We still do that today. We will pay for anything extracurricular or school related. So everything from sports, music, dance, karate lessons, to everything school-related. So things like school pictures, yearbooks, ASB cards, prom tickets, also our very, very favorite thing to pay for is cap and gown, for sure. We do that throughout the state, uh, provide thousands of what we call 
just-in-time funding requests. We also remove any barriers for our young people in terms of their school participation. So as we've really shifted into COVID, some of the money we were spending on things like school and extracurricular activities were now actually shifting and paying for just basic needs. Many of our young people were struggling with access to food or needing rent support, that kind of thing. So early on in our history, about a third of our requests were for clothing, because oftentimes when kids come into foster care, they do so from directly from school or from their daycare setting. What started out as a little donation closet has grown into a full-scale retail operation. We have a store in King County where children, youth, and their families can come shopping or new or very, very gently used clothing, school supplies, books, toys, seasonal items, holiday gifts, that kind of thing. And as I said, we're now shipping much of that material resource across the state. I think over the course of the last year, we've provided about just over a million dollars of material goods um, to um, kids in foster care and their families. That's really the core of how we started. And then in the mid-90s, the board looked around, the board of the organization looked around and said, all of this is great, but we're not going to change the trajectory of kids' lives if we don't address the education disparities that they experience. I'm not sure if you know that kids in foster care fall behind their peers on every educational measure than any other student group in our state, whether it be attendance, test scores, grades, and graduation rates. Only about 50% of our youth in foster care today are graduating high school on time. And you can imagine when they don't graduate, pretty terrible things happen in terms of their long-term outcomes in their life and uh, really limits their possibility and opportunity. And so TREE started experimenting with tutoring and college and career planning and educational advocacy work. And we founded a program that we call Educational Advocacy. We have Treehouse Educational Advocates who are co-located in DCYF social work offices with social workers to help resolve education-related barriers for kids in foster care. And it's kind of a get in, solve the problem, and get out, and hopefully build the capacity of both the social worker and the caregiver to continue to be advocates for our for their kids statewide. And we do that for kids from kindergarten through 12th grade, serve about 1,200 students across the state. And then about, gosh, lost track of time now, about eight years ago, we set a very, very ambitious goal that youth in foster care would graduate high school at the same rate as their peers with a plan for the future, their post-high school plan, and founded a program we now call Graduation Success. We have treehouse education specialists who work one-on-one with students. They see them weekly. They work on attendance, behavior, course performance, check in and say, hey, what's up with your science homework? How come you're not making it first period on time? What can we do to change that? How can I support you? They build a team of adults around each student. So their caregiver, their social worker, maybe their mental health therapist, everybody at school, make sure all the grownups are on the same page and working toward the same goal in support of that young person. And then we work very directly with that young person to set their own goals. It's kind of based on this crazy idea that when youth set their own goals, they're much more motivated to pursue them. Just say, what sings to your heart and and let us help support you and let's map the steps on how you get from here to there. What are you going to do this week? How can I help? And we just do that over and over a youth-centered approach. And right now we are serving about 1,300 high school students in foster care in 50 school districts across the state with that strategy. We're really, really proud to say that when our youth are able to stay with us, stay in our program, that they're graduating at a 75% rate, huge increase. So that's kind of the the suite of things we do. A couple of other things. We help youth get their, youth in foster care get their driver's license. So we pay for 
driver's ed for their permit and license fees. And then we also can pay for car insurance, liability car insurance while they are still in foster care up through age 21. And then we also have a great holiday program called Holiday Magic, where we provide one significant holiday gift to every kid in foster care in the state who wants one. I think this year we shipped out just under 5,000 holiday gifts across the state. Pretty comprehensive group of services, everything but the foster care itself. It's all of the other education and essential supports is what, what we do. As we know, foster parents, they need a lot of support. You were telling me about legislative priorities and why they're important and what you're doing. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. You know, at Treehouse, we say that we could do great direct service to young young people all day long, but if we don't resolve the systemic barriers that kind of stand in their way, they will never be as successful as they could, and we will never be success, as successful in achieving our mission. Every year, every legislative session, Treehouse works hard to make improvements to law um, for kids in foster care, particularly related to education. And we also advocate with our legislature to make really important investments in our young people. You know, kids in foster care are the kids for whom the state has stepped in to become parent. And we feel that we as a state have a a special responsibility to our young people to really step up and provide them with every opportunity that we possibly can to make sure they can succeed in school, graduate, go on to pursue whatever is their dream. And so this year, we have been on a path for the last several years to expand our graduation success program across the state. And like I said, we're serving 1,300 students in 50 school districts, but there are 295 school districts. We have about 600 youth who still need our services. And so we are asking the legislature to make an increased investment in the program to help us finish that statewide expansion. And it's a public-private partnership. Treehouse brings private contributions to the table and, and covers about 50% of the cost. And then we're counting on the legislature for the other, other 50%. So we are we're lobbying hard for that one, asking our community to contact their legislators. We're also working on one very special bill that Treehouse has been has been wanting to be reality for many years, and that is every school district is required by federal and state law to have what's called as a foster care liaison. So there's somebody in that district whose job it is to work with the Department of Children, Youth, and Families to make sure that the youth in foster care in their school district get their educational needs met. We want to extend that support down to the school building level where somebody in that building knows that child. And so we are asking Senate Bill 5184, and we are asking that school districts be required to appoint school building points of contact for youth and foster care in every public K through 12 school in the state. We are making good progress. It made it all the way through the Senate and is now being considered in the House Education Committee. Very excited to see that move forward and become law, it really gives us a way to make sure that we can provide the kind of support, training, and technical assistance resources to our school partners so that they can be effective in meeting the needs of every student in foster care in our state. We've all heard the prison ratio of foster kids to prison. Mm -hmm. What is that? We've been really focusing on this for the last several, several years. Our kids in foster care end up in both juvenile detention and also in adult prisons at much higher rates than their peers. And all of this is related. You know, we have a young person, they go into foster care, they've experienced challenges in their home life, and then they experience additional trauma when they come into the foster care system. And then oftentimes are moved around to multiple placements. 
They really have struggles with forming bonds with their caregivers. Then they're in school. They often start school behind and kind of fall further behind because of all that transition and trauma and loss. And then they, our kids end up getting suspended and expelled at much higher rates because you, you can imagine they're having what is totally normal reaction to their life situation, right? But the adults don't necessarily know what's going on or why they might be behaving that way. And so they end up getting suspended and expelled. We know that kids who get suspended and expelled are much, much less likely to graduate high school. And so oftentimes this starts a spiral where they get in trouble and end up in juvenile detention or even our state's longer term juvenile rehabilitation facility. The graduation rate for the kids who end up in the JRA facilities, our juvenile rehabilitation facilities is even lower. It's in the 20% range. If our kids are ending up in juvenile detention, we've already had two other systems that have already failed them, the foster care system and the education system. And so we really have to be thinking very hard about what happens when they are there. And there's an effort right now to improve the education that they get within juvenile detention facilities. I don't know if you know that 40% of the kids in our state's uh, juvenile rehabilitation system. So these are the kids who are serving longer sentences for whatever um, they, they have done. Um, 40% have been in foster care. So there is absolutely a systemic connection. And Treehouse has actually been working with a group of adult inmates at the Moreau Correctional Facility. They are called the Concerned Lifers Organization. These are men who are serving very long sentences or life sentences, and a very high percentage of them spent time in the foster care system when they were growing up, and they are absolutely committed to disrupting that pipeline that they experienced. First time I met them and they told me their stories, you know, they call themselves the state-raised group. And the first time I heard that phrase, I've been in the foster care sort of field for a long time, and I had never heard that term. And they have a point of view that they were trained to be institutionalized and not to excuse anything that any of them did in terms of their crimes. But when I hear their stories, I'm not sure how they could have ended up anywhere else. And that is not their failure. I feel like that's our failure as a community and a society. We are really focused on where can we intervene in that foster care experience, in that educational experience, that's really Treehouse's sweet spot. And how can we work with our state agency partners and our law enforcement professionals, our schools to really change this trajectory? I remember talking to one legislator who really didn't like that phrase, foster care to prison pipeline. I mean, when you look at the data, it is irrefutable. Yeah. And I love it that you're looking deep down rather than putting a Band-Aid on it. So how will your legislative priorities, if they're passed, help re-stabilize the youth and young adults from what they're going through with pandemic? Absolutely. We've got several pieces of legislation that are working their way through the legislature right now. One is about what happens inside juvenile rehabilitation facilities. Right now, there's a real shortage of both behavioral health and substance use disorder treatment inside our juvenile facilities. This is a key intervention moment. This is an opportunity for us to really like, let's put the brakes on what's happening for this young person right now. And it's not rehabilitative enough because there's not enough services and supports for the young people who are currently incarcerated. So that's one piece that we have to fix what's happening inside. There's another piece of legislation that is addressing this need to really look deeply at the institutional education that youth get when they're inside um, juvenile detention facilities. Again, what happens inside that institution is going to potentially impact the rest of their lives. That system has really been broken. We have one instructor or one or two instructors that try to come in and teach 
multiple subjects to multiple age of youth. The youth could be from 11 to their early 20s, could be anywhere on the educational spectrum in terms of their skill level. They just need to be resourced differently. There's an effort to really have a work group that would really study this for the next several months and provide some recommendations to the legislature about critical investments and, and law change that needs to happen. And then there is a also a bill that will help more successfully re-enter the community when they finish their sentences in juvenile detention so that we're doing better reintegration to the community in terms of school, in terms of work. We're making sure that they have sports that they need so that they have every opportunity to kind of break this cycle that they might be finding themselves in. And you said you're in the legislative process right now? Yeah, these are several different bills that are kind of working their way through the legislature. We're about 60% of the way through the session. All the bills that are going to make it through made it through their first chamber. If it was the Senate bill, it made it all the way through its Senate journey that has to do the whole, the whole thing on the House side and, or vice versa. And so a lot of hearings happening this week and next about those bills that made it through their first chamber, but now have to make it through this other chamber. So we are continuing to monitor and testify and sign in in support of key pieces of legislation. So we're keeping our fingers crossed that um, we're going to be successful on those key, those key pieces. Is there anything that the general public can do at this point? You can absolutely make a make a big difference by contacting your legislators and say, hey, I'm really concerned about what's happening for kids in foster care. Please make sure that you're investing in their education and in these critical juvenile rehabilitation supports. It is super easy to do. You just go to ledge.wa.gov and you can use your address to look up who your people are and you can write them a quick email right there. You can also go onto Treehouse's website. We have an online advocacy action center that makes it super, super easy to send messages to your legislators. And we're, right now in particular, we're asking people to weigh in with their legislators about our expansion of our graduation success work statewide. This is one of the key preventative measures. You know, our youth who do not graduate, they end up in poverty, they end up unemployed, they end up incarcerated, and they end up homeless. That is unacceptable. So if people have a minute to spare, because it literally takes a minute, they can go to the Treehouse website at treehouseforkids.org click on take action. It'll take them just a minute to send a message to their legislator. I am going to go do that as soon as I'm done with this interview. And I would put out a challenge to tell everyone, you know, if you do it, ask your family to do it. Because mm -hmm. if you've had any connection with foster kids, you see where the holes and the gaps are. And it's not really by lack of trying. It's just overwhelming and the foster system keeps growing with the, the drug addiction problem. And so the fact that you are doing this and you recognize systemically what's going on mm. is so amazing. And one of the things that I have really tried to do as a foster grandma, when I hear people ignorantly say something like those kids, mm -hmm. if I'm in a conversation I try to educate. We are using language that is very hurtful mm -hmm. to foster kids and they do absolutely and they do see what we do. And even when, so in my family, we have a granddaughter who is a bio daughter. They were only going to have one kid and then they started fostering and adopted three more, mm -hmm. two of which were siblings. It's easy for people to say, oh, well, is she their real kid? Mm -hmm. And they're all our real kids. We love them all. We've got a few minutes left. How people are starting to understand the ACEs and teachers mm -hmm. so that when they see a kid who 
their pencil breaks and they are reacting as though they've lost their family. Well, they have. Mm -hmm. And so to understand that what's going on is not as it seems and to offer some grace and to try to see things a little differently rather than overreacting in kind. Thank you so much for saying that, Lori, because I I cannot, I could not agree more wholeheartedly. Every kid is a good kid Mm -hmm. and they are having completely normal reactions to a really, really hard situation. If, if you as an adult had gone through the kind of trauma and loss that they have experienced, you would be reacting in exactly the same way. The other thing I just want to say is I think a lot of people make assumptions about why kids come into foster care and about who their parents are. And I just want to say every parent wants to be a great parent, regardless of who they are. They want to deep down and 65 or 70% of our kids come into care because of substance use disorder and mental health challenges, you know, that it's neglect. And there are those situations where it involves physical abuse or sexual abuse, but that is really the exception, not the rule. It's usually families that are in deep crisis and need support and wraparound help. And we're so glad at the federal level that there is a movement toward preventing bringing kids into foster care in the first place. How do we intervene when families are struggling early, wrap our support around them and make sure that they can stay together and stay whole because we damage kids when we do this. We always hope at Treehouse we're going to put ourselves out of a job. We don't have kids who have to go through this, but sometimes for their own safety, they have to. And, you know, really the state's goal is to give that parent time to get their act together, basically get all the support and help they need. And hopefully that young person is going to be able to go back home. And in 65 or 70% of the cases they do. And I think that's the one thing that people really don't understand. And so it doesn't help when we demonize those parents who really were doing the best they could in their own circumstances. I am a former foster parent. I had a lot of judgment about the parents of kids that were in my care. And when I really found out their story, I was like, oh, I can kind of understand how you ended up here. A human being doing their very best and still struggling. So we really try to do the same thing, kind of um, remove some of those, that stigma, those myths. I think there's also the thing about People become foster parents because they want to get paid. The state does not pay enough to offset the cost of raising kids. We work with incredible people doing incredible work on behalf of our uh, of our young people. We just had our annual luncheon today and we oh. had one of our heroic foster parents telling her story about how intentional she is about wrapping her love around these kids. I just wish I could tell every person who thinks that, you know, and I would say, I would also just put a plug in, if any of this is moving you, Think about whether or not you could become a foster parent. I will say, you know, they always say this about the the army or something, but it's like, it's the toughest job you'll ever love. It is hard. If you have a heart for it, it is the best thing you'll ever do. My dearest friend in college adopted four kids, two sibling groups, and it was hard. It was hard. But now when she looks back and now the relationship she has with those kids is so heartwarming. And when my daughter was going to adopt these kids, I said, I watched you go through this. I know how hard it is. What are you thinking right now? And she said, I do it over in a heartbeat and I would not take anything personal. And I think that's where people get wrapped up. If they start to take the behaviors personal, because they're not, they're just behaviors. They're just Mm -hmm. fear and confusion. And if somebody is 
wanting to be a foster parent, where's the best place for them to go to start finding out about that? Centralized place to find out is at the Department of Children, Youth, and Families website. So you can get licensed directly through the state, or you can also work with private agencies in your communities. And for us in King County, for example, there is Amara Parenting and Adoption. They work in both Pierce and King County, but there are several private agencies that also do foster parent licensing. Sometimes if you go that direction, you might get a little bit more training and support. If you just Google it, become a foster parent, Washington State, you'll find it. We just really are so grateful for those people who who step up and really provide some incredible support. The other thing you can do is become licensed just to be a respite provider. Foster parents oftentimes don't get much of a break. Sometimes if you can just step up, have some kids with you over a weekend or that kind of thing, it's also a great way to kind of test out whether or not it's something you might think about doing. You don't have to go all the way in and you do get some good training and support as well. It's not your respite because the kids are bad. Your respite because maybe the parents have to go out of town for a wedding and they can't take those kids out of out of the state, out of, state. Or out of town. Mm-hmm. So respite is a really great, great way to kind of test the waters. I'm also a recovery coach and I have coached so many women off the streets, getting housing, getting their kids back, working through it and being so successful and the foster parents coming beside them Mm -hmm. and being part of their journey. And that is so beautiful because that's what we need is we need Mm -hmm. community and support. That's what kids need. That is exactly how the foster care system would be designed where foster parents job is really as a support and coach for that birth parent and that then eventually you become part of that family's extended family and support. It's one of my dreams that it's really becomes much more supportive. When I was a foster parent, this is 10 years ago plus now, but it was a very adversarial relationship during the time that the kids were with us because we had conflicting interests. They wanted to get their kids back and I was interested in adopting. That's not necessarily a great setup for, it's not a great setup for the kids. As it became clear that they were going to be able to go back to their birth family, we really got to know each other. And I was like, why could this not have happened at the beginning? I could have gotten my heart behind that because that bond is so, so important. If that family, if that those parents can do it, that's where they need to be. Was it a heartbreak? It was absolutely a heartbreak. I will never forget their mom about six months after they went home, sent, sent an email saying, we will never forget what you've done for our family. Best thing I've ever done. Thank you for sharing that because I think that's what people miss out. They say, mm-hmm. oh, they're heartbroken because the kids went home. And yeah, you are, you're always going to be, even if you're prepared, Mm -hmm. but when we look at it at a different way, like you said, and we can support one another and that's ideal. There's often time where the parent is not wanting a relationship with the foster parent because they feel inadequate. I mean, they're suffering Mm -hmm. from shame and all of that. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of aspects, but thank you for sharing your story and thank you for the work that you did, because I, I love what you said. It's the hardest job you'll ever love. And all these kids, they need adults in their lives. All kids do, but most kids have family and they have aunts and uncles. Right. So this mm-hmm. is a way to provide that. Thank you so much, Don, for being on the show. One more time, tell people where to go to support this. So go to treehouseforkids.org. If you go to the take action part of our website, it'll take you two minutes to send a message to your legislator saying support kids in foster care and their educational success. Thank you so much, Lori. I'm Lori Hardy. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you've learned something new and join us again next week as we continue to talk with people who are making a difference.